0: James, uh, we we'll are introducing it today, uh, probably a little bit of introduction next week, and then we'll start going verse by verse through the book of James. Uh, we've got some just basic information here, and then we'll go through some notes. Uh, I'll I have to prove or show, or at least demonstrate, give you the option to make a decision that who wrote, who is James. Uh, most people think that's the uh, James, Jesus' brother. There's four Jameses mentioned in the Bible. I can show you some verses. One verse has four James, or three of the four in the same verse. Uh, Two of them are, well, all of them are, well, two of them are disciples. One of them is the father of a disciple named Judas, and it's Judas, the son of James, to separate him from Judas, uh, the one who betrayed. So that's three of them that are mentioned. Then there's one more James mentioned that is the Lord's brother, who was not a believer in the Gospels, Becomes a believer after the resurrection, apparently after Jesus appeared to him. And then becomes a leader in the church of Jerusalem, which is documented in the book of Acts, uh, in church history by historians. Uh, Josephus even records uh, James. And so uh, this is probably the one, especially because the book begins James, he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ uh, and doesn't call himself James You know, the lesser James, the son of Zebedee, James, you know, from Syria. He just calls himself James. So whoever received this information at the time it was written, they knew it was James. And so this James has to be prominent. One of the suggestions, of course, is there could be an unknown James. Of course, that's true. It could be a James. That's not one of the four that are mentioned in Scripture. It could be this one right here. But understand, now you, the odds of that, it's like no one's ever heard of him. Church history records nothing about him. Then he writes a book called James and doesn't even identify himself. So he's so unknown that he, no one knows who he is. And he knows he's unknown, so he just calls himself James. So all puts together that it's probably written by James, the brother of uh, Jesus. And again, if you want to get technical, it would be you know the stepbrother of of jesus but we understand uh that whole story um as we look at it right here i'm going to read just a little bit of it uh the outline uh, of course i would like to right now just read through the whole book of james which would be probably a very good early church tradition they would read the letter to the congregation uh, but of course then i'd have to stop and make control myself and not make comment on every verse uh but i'll just begin reading right here Chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Now, again, that's very interesting, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, you, you know, we will talk about that in some detail. And then he uses the word greetings, which is, for me, a, a real, real supportive word for this being James, the brother of Jesus. Because he begins a letter in the book of Acts with that very same word, greetings, exactly the same. And so we'll look at that here. Then he begins, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Uh, Of course, that's not a verse we want to (laughs) hear. We just wanted to just pray and everything goes away. It's like, no, 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 this is good for you because you're developing character. Uh, The more you're tested, the more perseverance you develop, the stronger you become uh it, it's like oh it's like a cross-country coach making a runner stronger by making him run further it's like i just want to be fast well uh, you're gonna have to learn how to run further to be fast well, that's not the way i want to do it you can just make me fast uh, and that kind of goes through this whole book right here with with sayings like this and one of the things we'll talk about a little bit this week and a little bit more next week is the outline or the flow of the book of james some things that will as before i get into the notes some things that we know as or, and you know is, the uh, I'll just say, sayings, or uh, quotes, statements. Uh, You know, I make fun of refrigerator magnet scriptures, you know, or bumper sticker scriptures. I mean, this is full of them, just as little, catchy little. And so it's very similar to the Jewish writings in the Old Testament, or just Jewish writings, even of the time around James, of just the wisdom literature. And so he's following, and this kind of gives us a clue as to the date. Possibly, because again, the date is not there. We don't know uh, who received the letter. R e c e i v e d. Oh boy, good luck with that word. I hope I spelled it right. We don't know who the recipients were of this letter. It's it, well, yes, we do. The twelve tribes of Israel, but that's kind of like what? It's a Christian letter to the twelve tribes of Israel scattered. So, is that a, a you know a, just a general statement? Is it exactly to the Jews and they're scattered? You know what city was it written to? But the fact that it is of this style, of a Jewish style of sayings, that at first it doesn't. And again, even after we look into it, it it doesn't seem to follow uh, a thought pattern. Like you know, the Book of Galatians, there's an argument in the Book of Galatians, and you can follow Paul's building a case. He's he's a lawyer. He writes the Book of Romans, and he builds a case. All one step leads to the next step where James is almost, you can almost see it being a cyclical where you, you know he talks about wisdom, he talks about suffering, he talks about the power of words, he talks about faith, but actually the faith is about doing and not so much, here's the kicker right here, theology. Uh, he, he's, he, he, is, he knows theology, he's got solid theology, he's in line, again we'll talk about that, with the rest of theology, but he's not teaching, he's not in a sense teaching doctrine or teaching theology he has it but he's more into the application which makes this more of a pastoral letter which then gives you the indication of who he's writing to he's writing to a group of people somewhere that he's giving them advice and it's very generic like when you talk to uh, the situation uh, even the letter of hebrews we just got done with hebrews <coughs> we know the situation was that they were having trouble with the culture with the temple worship of being rejected because they weren't following exactly the old testament procedures they had gone to faith in christ and had embraced a new covenant and were walking away from the old covenant so we know that we know the tension in the letter well this is we we you know we just read that first verse you know whenever you face trials of many kinds so what trial are you referring to any trials of many kinds it's like So that could apply to, yep, (laughs) name it, it applies to it. And so it's very generic, very general, which this is, I'm not being negative. It's just kind of, we're looking into the letter. It's like, okay, he's giving advice. So the city, it may be cities. And he says 12 tribes. Again, we are not going to identify that exactly today, but it could refer to believers that had been scattered from Jerusalem. There is a huge Jewish overtone to this. And we don't hear a lot about Gentiles. And another thing we don't hear is uh, Paul's words, Paul's theology. Uh, we can see, and, and I, th- I think you can uh, judge it yourself, when we re- read through Hebrews, if Paul wrote it, yes, maybe, no. Or if Barnabas or someone else wrote it, whoever wrote Hebrews, if it was Paul or Barnabas or someone else, Timothy, Aquila, and Priscilla, they, they knew Paul's writings. I mean, we're, we're dating that book 63 AD, you know, give or take. Enough time that Paul's ministry had it had an impact. And so Paul's teaching had influenced Christianity. Now, again, we're not saying Paul created Christianity. We're saying Paul identified and clarified Christianity. And so Paul's vocabulary, Paul's ideas are in Hebrews. In the book of James, you don't hear Paul. In fact, guys like Martin Luther... Didn't like it. And going back to theology, theologians don't like, in a general sense, uh, it's been, the book has been ignored quite a bit throughout history because it doesn't address theology. It, it says things like, uh, uh, if you have faith, uh, show me your faith by what you do. Well, we like, you know, in the Romans and stuff, we're saved by faith, we're saved by grace, we we don't have to do works for our salvation. This is true theology. You're not saved by works. But James is, okay, but now that you're saved, uh, we should see something. It's like, so now you're talking, yeah, if you're saved, uh, show me something. And if I'm not seeing anything, there's a good chance I don't think you're saved. And it's kind of like, Martin Luther, you could see him just recoiling at that. In fact, he called it, and it's quoted in every, every commentary, he called it an epistle of straw. Meaning it was just a lot of nice sayings, but you can't, you're not, true, you're not going to be able to go to James and build a, a document in a debate establishing your theology from the book of James. Because by the time you say you're saved by faith, not by works, he says, well, if you're saved, let's see your works. It's like, I don't need that verse in my Bible. That undermines my whole premise. But yet it doesn't. It, it's building on it. Or it's coming, again, be careful when I say this, before Paul had a, had an impact, which makes this early. Uh, we can say Paul began writing, you know, oh, I think the, the Thessalonians, you know, Galatians, you know, 48 A.D., 52 a.d that's when those things are taking place the jerusalem Council is going to take place around 48 a.d we'll refer to that when they've got to decide what are they going to do what are the jews or the church going to do with these gentiles that are just like oh yeah jesus is the savior and now they're believers and now they're sanctified in christ it's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa you skipped the entire mosaic law there's no circumcision there's no diet you're not even following the feast do you even understand the feast Never heard of the feast, but I'm saved. It's like, well, well, we can't. And so it's like, then the church has to get together and say, because that church is splitting. You're going to have the Gentiles who just accept Christ, and Paul is pushing for that. Well, the Jews are trying to keep everything established. And again, we've talked about this before. You can't get mad at them and call them heretics and, and closed-minded because they've spent centuries following the law of Moses. They've been sent into Babylonian captivity because they didn't follow the law of Moses. They fought for it during the wars with the Syrians, during the Solution Wars, Uh, and now here they are, and then someone says, well, we're just going to have faith in Christ. It's like, right, he is the fulfillment of the law, but you've got to take the steps of the law to get to the Messiah. I mean, it makes complete sense from the Jewish perspective, but that's what the book of Hebrews was about. That was the old covenant, and that was leading you to the new covenant, and now that the new covenant has come, the old is set aside. Well, how far set aside? Uh, totally set aside. Totally, I mean, what about, you know, Christmas? You know, you know that, I use that as a reference to like your family holidays. It's like you can still have a family holiday, but we don't need Passover anymore because Christ is your Passover. But we always get together on Passover and, and have the tree and have the presents and have the celebration. You can still get together, but it, it, that's, you're saved by faith in Christ. And so you can understand if someone were to tell you, we're in a new age. We're no longer going to celebrate Christmas. We're going to celebrate uh, the birth of Biden. You know, it's, it's the new age. <laughs> you know, the birth of Trump, whatever, you know. Whatever. It's, like, it's like, oh, we're, we're not, we're not going to do It's like, wh- what about Christmas? Oh, Christmas has passed away. It's now this new age. And now, again, assuming that was true, you would have to break with the, the past and join this new, and you can understand how much trouble we'd have. We'd still Oh, I'd have trouble. I wouldn't, I'd still want my little Christmas tree. and i still want to have little snowflakes and, or whatever. I definitely want the presents. But anyway. Okay, I'm, I'm rambling now. I've, I got way off track, whatever I was saying. Okay. Uh, theology. Martin Luther and theologians refer to it uh, as more like the epistle of straw. That's what Martin Luther says. And they tend to neglect it. Uh, but yet, Martin Luther quoted it repetitively, because it's so available. It's right when you start living a life, this is what it should look like. And so there really was no discrepancy there. The date I'll just I got a question mark there. Well, I'm gonna try and clean all this up later. But oh boy it would appear James, the brother of the Lord, which I think is the author of this book, as does most commentators, uh, was killed in sixty two AD. He was martyred, pushed off not this corner, but right over here on this corner of the Temple Mount was pushed right there where the trumpeting stone was pushed off and fell, and they've discovered that it was a place where they'd stand right here. And again, this part has been rebuilt. Some of these, these stones up to about, if you care, up to about here are Herodian, and it kind of tapers down because they were crossed over. So this didn't it didn't get destroyed in the Roman destruction. But as it tapers back to here, the wall got pushed over more. But over it was be the highest part. They'd make announcements. Over here, this is where the people traveled from, come from the city, and they'd make announcements like this, where they'd play the trumpet to announce the priest would announce the, the Sabbath or the holiday. It appears James was put there, and I, I've got it written down, I'm going to read it to you, and was told to basically renounce Christ. And when he got there, he didn't, and the Passover crowd that was coming, he proclaimed Christ, which was not what he was supposed to do. He got canceled that day, and they pushed him off, and he falls. Now, you can imagine falling. It's quite a distance. Uh, but you know, a chance of getting hurt, very serious, a chance of dying. Well, you may die from your injuries, but you're not gonna die and be dead necessarily. And that's what happened. He fell, and then he didn't die, so they beat him with clubs or stoned him. And that was probably 62 AD. So, which again, like I say, is interesting when you consider Hebrews being written right around that time. He's not mentioned there, but the leadership of the city of Jerusalem, if that's where the book of Hebrews was written to, is addressed several times so it'd be right around that time uh, james was being killed about the time the book of hebrews was being written give or take a few months one way or the other um, now the point the date of this if the jerusalem council was 48 a.d and paul's persecution began oh let's say 30 uh, yeah we can say 33 a.d at least 30 to 33 a.d Paul is saved around 35 A.D. and kind of is obscure for a while. So the, the persecution, if we're talking about the dispersion of the Jews just in general, because of the Assyrian dispersion and the Babylonian captivity, these, some of them came back, some of them stayed in different cities. And I think we're particularly talking about north of Israel, Syria, and we'll talk about that later. They'd gone into other countries and they'd been there. Some came back, but others stayed there and just continued in their synagogues. Then when they heard about the gospel, as you can see, Paul, Paul goes to synagogue after synagogue and basically splits the synagogue. Some believe and go next door and start a church. Some stay in the synagogue, reject Christ and continue down the Jewish path. And so when he's talking to the 12 tribes, it could very well be Jews in other cities that had lived there uh, from the dispersions or had moved and joined those cities for business purposes or whatever. And then they became believers and they're in several cities paul would have reached possibly reached some of them and maybe not uh he could have been saved just because we can see in the book of acts even before paul churches were starting had even started in carthage on the north coast of africa because of just the persecution drove the christians out and when they drove them out they joined the synagogues brought the gospel that's how the roman church got started the roman church was started most likely from the day of pentecost people coming from jerusalem going back to rome Paul didn't start the church he writes a letter almost a letter of of application to see will you accept my doctrine I want to come visit you and then you can send me on my way Peter was there after Paul so Paul and Peter did not start the church of Rome it was already up and established so well that they can receive the letter of Romans and read it and understand it Paul was in more of a sense not teaching them but just kind of clarifying here's my doctrine and now we're, we're on the same page so they're a very mature church, which means they started right around this time. So we've got Christian churches uh, before Paul actually starts his theology, his teaching. So because this is written in such a way that Paul's not prominent in it or his doctrine, his, his verbiage, we're putting this back around this time period, you know, 40, no one knows for sure, but 48 AD, right around the time of the Jerusalem Council. But basically, I would say sometime between 48 A.D., you could say a, a few years before that. We'll we'll just, just for the, again, this is not official, I'll say 44 A.D. That's when James, the son of Zebedee, was martyred by Herod Agrippa I. first. that's in the book of Acts, the first. That was 44 A.D. So James, the son of Zebedee, the one of the sons of thunder, you know, would have been, you know, dead about the time this was written, had never even be got into a place of leadership in the in sense of, of, you know, reaching out to other cities. Up to 62 AD, so sometime in this time period, 44 to 62 AD, and this is probably more like 48, sometime during that, what do you got, a 14-year period that this is written to? And if it's written by James, the book doesn't say, there's a lot of things the book doesn't say, it doesn't greet anybody, it just says, greetings. There's no names. Remember, even book of Hebrews, one name was Timothy. A bunch of he- Old Testament names with only one player was, was Timothy that was alive. James, there's no names of anybody. Old Testament characters for illustration. Uh, so... If it is James, it's probably written from Jerusalem because he was the bishop of Jerusalem. His life was in Jerusalem, head of the church, and he's writing to those that that had been dispersed somehow. If it's from just Jewish dispersion, persecution, or just moved out and is being written to several places, uh, I'm going to assume, and we'll try and build on this later, most likely up to Syria and in that area. And so there's a date, not solid. There's the recipients, uh, maybe Syria, where it came from. Uh, again, it's got a lot of catchy sayings in it. I don't want to say catchy like just, you know, shallow. But that's one of the points is he uses great illustrations. Uh, one commentator makes a point, I'll read through some notes here in a moment, uh, makes a point that he, he doesn't quote Jesus, but his teaching is so infiltrated with Jesus' teaching uh, it's like entwined in it. There's one place where he talks about oaths uh, that was almost a direct quote, but otherwise it's just point after point after point in the same vein, the same style that Jesus is teaching in. Uh, and I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word rambling, but it's, it's just one point doesn't, just like the book of Proverbs, you ever tried you ever tried to do that in Proverbs, read a proverb and, then, and read the next one and try and make, okay, and it's like, it's, complete, it's like complete. Completely separate thought. Like, and then you read the next one. It's like, oh, we got four things going on here, and you only read three verses. And it, for me, that's frustrating because it's like, okay, where's where's the how's the how am I going to teach this? You teach one verse, you know, eight words. Okay, end of message. Next verse, and it's like you're just. I've I've even tried teaching. I remember one time in a church, getting halfway through one of the. Ch- I was going to teach. I was going to teach through Proverbs. Well, who wouldn't want to teach through Proverbs? So te- I went, I don't know, four or five Sundays, but I got to like the sixth Sunday. I'm in the middle of chapter 14 or something. It's kind of like, I could just feel the tension. I mean, I, could, I can tell when I'm not communicating. Because it's like, I, my heart rate goes up, I get hot, and it's like, also my, my mind just starts to freeze. It's like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. And everybody's out there looking like. <laughs> and it's like, it got to one of those points where, you know, I like to teach. You know, you, got, you, got your, you, got, you know where you're kind of going through down this, this river. You're like, here's this tree, and there's that. And you see, here, we just keep following me down the river. I'm in Proverbs, it's like, oh, I don't know, it's just a mud puddle here. It's like, another mud puddle. It's like, ah, finally, like I just closed the book. And I so, and started talking about, I said, let's just talk about some things. I went off on another whole subject, and then closed the book of Proverbs. So you can probably find that online. Proverbs, Proverbs, all of a sudden, like, boom, nothing's there. It's like, what happened? I got scared. I couldn't do it. I mean, you can teach through it, but it's like, and then you can t- take a salve you grab this proverb, and then you try and find the connections, and you got like 15 proverbs that are similar, and and that's another way of teaching it. But anyway, now I'm not saying you can't teach proverbs, but I struggle with proverbs. And James, oh boy, is right right there. <laughs> it's like gonna, y- y- one thought doesn't necessarily lead correctly or directly to the next one. Okay, with that being said, let's look at some notes. Here's some kind of, Order, uh, describing the book of James. Uh, Practical, it's filled with simple, clear directions. Uh, There are more imperative verbs in this book than any New Testament book, meaning they're commands. They're not like suggestions, it's not theology, it's not thought, it's like, you do this, you do this, you do it's how to live the Christian life. Uh, Touches briefly on theology and spends his words on practical application of truth. Again, it's, it's not void of theology, But he's assuming theology and just going off on on the application. Where Paul will argue the case, build the foundation, sometimes use Old Testament, sometimes use situations, build his theology. And then, well, you you can almost divide Ephesians, Colossians, Romans in half. The first half is theology. And then he says something like, therefore. And then the rest of it is now addressing your problem. Here's what you should do. Where James is right into the, therefore, this is what you should be doing if it would make it simple. Uh, like point C is a, a great one, chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Again, that, that, that's especially pertinent for myself. I like to teach the word. The word of God is important. The word of God changes lives. Learn the word of God. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're deceived. You haven't changed anything. You just got more information. And so it's like, I, that's, you know, that's a warning for teachers. It's like, you just, I got all this information. Ask me any question. Well, it really doesn't matter because you've deceived yourself. You just know all the answers, but you don't know anything about living the life in, in in practice. And James is definitely on this spectrum over here. Of okay, we all know the word. And again, when you say something like that, you, you, I, I don't want to I don't want to just railroad this through. But this has got a heavy Jewish influence, which again puts makes it easier to say it's written early because there's a lot of Jews in the church. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, you you can assume, like you can't be too critical of the Jews on the day of Pentecost or in Jesus' ministry because when the church started, it was all Jewish. I mean, you had some peripheral Gentiles, but there was a clear mark in the book of Acts where they are going out of the Jewish community into the Gentile cities. And so that early church was Jewish. There, so there was a volume, even priests and Levites became, became believers, it says in Acts, Many became believers in Jesus Christ, and so to say that this was written during the time when the church was heavily Jewish is exactly what you see in the Book of Acts. And then, with the and they struggled being totally Jewish to take in their Messiah to the Gentiles. And if it wasn't for Paul coming from Syria down into Jerusalem, saying, "Hey, that's what we've been we've been doing this, and it's working." Even Paul got called in, or me, Peter got called in. Uh, when he went to Cornelius's house, remember this, and he be, went into a Gentile's house, ate with them, shared the gospel. The Spirit came on them during the message. He got they got saved even while Paul was, or even while Peter was leading up to the point of the invitation. He didn't get to have the, the altar call. They all got saved. All they go, and the Spirit came on. Them. And he, he didn't expect that, so he, he gets called in. He got he got called into the church board in Jerusalem uh peter we heard you went into a gentile's house and uh, ate with them yeah and i preached the gospel to them and they got saved just like we did and the spirit came on them just like it did us so the church council says this or the church board said you should not be doing that peter says "Uh, jesus told me to I mean, not like I felt in my heart, but like a vision, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, when Jesus tells me to do something, you should be skeptical. But when Peter sees the vision and an angel, you know, goes to and says, go down and get Peter. I mean, we've got a real interactive thing going on there of God actually intervening. So we're not going to debate, was that really God? In that case, it was really God. And so he's following Jesus' directive. And they had to say, it's like, I mean, they are like, hmm, okay, well, Who's going to argue with the Spirit of God? I mean, they they didn't understand it. They said, this is not right. Peter says, I agree, but it's what happened. And so they're like, they don't have theology. They're just like, and it's going to come take Paul. It's going to come along and say, okay, let me explain. This is exactly what the Old Testament was talking about. And so you can see that struggle. Don't take your eye off that idea of in the book of James that there was a solid Jewish community of believers in Jesus Christ with developed theology early on, even before Paul comes on the scene. Uh, because if you know, the argument, if Paul comes on the scene and creates Christianity, there are those that argue that there's Jesus Christians and then there's Paul, Paulinian Christians, and they're two different groups. Well, that, that's not the case. Paul just came and established the doctrine of what Jesus was saying. Uh, and James would be over here with Jesus following jesus words intertwined you know he had the same vocabulary the same house you know home experience and i like to give mary credit for a lot of that for just being a great teacher in the home of her boys knew well jesus james wrote scripture and was a leader of the church and then jude writes the book of jude i mean you've got three sons that are either the Messiah or authors of Scripture. Uh, it's like, what did y'all, they just played video games. I don't know, just God. It's like there's something going on there in the home, you've got to imagine. Uh, okay, so it's practical, it's concise. Uh, there, no point is developed at length. Again, like that idea of Proverbs. James moves, moves quickly from point to point. Uh, theologians have struggled with this book but the general believer finds the selected verses very popular and again as we read through this and you have already but you the all these verses oh yeah i know this verse martin luther found the book of james to be in conflict with paul and referred to it as an epistle of straw yet luther quoted from it uh i say so critics but should be some critics from history consider the book of james as a holdover from jewish writings since it is so similar to the wisdom books and literature. In other words, they say it's really not, I mean, there's all kinds of, you get into it and get into all the years of study and theologians and commentators. Some even say that it was a Jewish writing that later on someone just tried to Christianize a little bit. So it's totally Jewish. Then they just kind of throw some Christian stuff in on top of it, which, which of course undermines the whole authenticity of the book, which I don't agree with, but that's how jewish it is and they've got somehow but yeah it's got a christian flavor to it this is interesting point d and you know all of these this is just like jesus teaching this was full of illustrations and metaphors used by james to help the readers picture and remember images we recall are the surging sea the withered flower a face in a mirror the bit in the mouth of a horse the rudder of a ship the destruction of a forest fire pure spring water then we could say salt water arrogant self-important businessmen uh, corroded metal and cloth cloth or clothes eaten by moths and so the, all those are just rapid fire coming through there and it's like he makes a statement and he got this picture makes a statement he got this picture very similar to what jesus was doing the type uh, of writing it is sent to a group of people identified in chapter 1 verse 1 as the 12 tribes of the dispersion we'll break that down later uh, this was a particular group uh, but the identification of the recipients is elusive obscure even cryptic maybe intentionally i mean if they're, they're still under persecution maybe it's like where are they Ah, oh, they're the 12 tribes scattered around the world it's like and so this letter it's like there's no like to the church of corinth or through the church of Colossae, it's like or to titus it's like this is to uh, the 12 tribes of israel that are kind of scattered all around the world it's like aha let's go get them you couldn't again i'm not sure if that's the reason uh but it's considerable uh point b letters in the ancient world range between now this is interesting and you'll recognize this in the ancient world letters could be like just brief notes of information or long argumentative discourses in a debate and that's what you have like for hebrews uh you've got a letter you've got the opening you've got the closing but in the middle it's like it's just teaching it's like because they couldn't uh in a sense have a debate like we can have you know we got phone calls we've got you know video chat uh even travel you could travel and meet with each other travel was more difficult so if you're going to actually have an argument and that's what's nice about the ancient world is there was people having arguments not you, not you know th- yeah arguments like fevered angry arguments but debates back and forth and they would write a lot of the early church fathers when they're writing against a false philosophy or a false doctrine they'll write a, a large discourse and then they'll mail it, and then the other person will read it, and then they'll write back. Even the Reformation has letters going back and forth of these, and there may be a greeting, hope everything's fine. Okay, and then they're on with the argument, and that's how they would, you know, that makes sense. We do the same thing, but we do it, you know, on Twitter or something like that. Uh, Or, you know, you can see people on debate stages. But anyway, so that's what the letters could refer. They'd be short. Long argument of discourses, and the, and the Bible. You can see that Romans, uh, you know, Hebrews, a lot of them are, are debates. It's the book of Corinthians. Uh, these documents had many different forms, with, but simply add the opening and closing before sending it to a particular audience, and the contents becomes a letter, and then I write, consider Hebrews and Romans. Point C, also missing in James, and we've mentioned before, are details of situations being addressed. We, we just don't know what the act. The issues in the book of James are our issues also. I mean, the same issues that they were struggling with, we're struggling with, but they're not identified specifically. Probably because it was going to several locations and everybody had these general, especially if, if he's writing as a bishop or a pastor overseeing the lives of the believers. He's seeing these issues in everybody's life for so many years And you can almost categorize, these are this problem, and this problem, and this problem. And here's how you handle each of these general issues. Uh, Ending the letter with greeting of individuals. Okay, yeah, there's no ending to greeting individuals like you see in Paul's letters. Uh, References to others and fellow workers. And there's no indication of travel plans. Maybe because James isn't going anywhere. On next page two, the location of the writing. Uh, I assume it's from Jerusalem, but it's not identified in the book. Uh, there's no mention of any people no places no situations in the book point d it can be assumed that the 12 tribes okay i've read through all this jewish believers several locations could be there uh, no written to any particular group Uh, james writing is pastoral point e james is not informing or teaching but is commanding exhorting and encouraging Uh, interesting james is compassionate addressing the readers. Fifteen times he says, my brothers. And I've got that in a square in the Greek right there, in the middle of page two. Because the modern translations change where it says, my brothers, and then he gives them some imperative. My brothers, he gives them imperative, just so you can see this for yourself. The modern translators translate it, my brothers and sisters, or my beloved brothers and sisters. I mean, we were so so scared and so wimpy that, oh, we don't want to offend the women folk. It's like okay, well, just man up. When he says men, he's talking to the congregation of people, not you know, I'm talking to the males in the audience because the females can't even get saved. Why even bother? That's not his point. Uh, it's just we're. I mean, it's just interesting when he would say uh, something about brothers. It was just assumed you're not isolating the women. I mean, you'd say, well, yeah, but why didn't he say? Because no one's that twisted and and paranoid about gender and you didn't include the women folk it's like well they were there i mean i'm talking to the believers and it's like and so it's just kind of interesting you can see it because they're not going out of their way to eliminate the women but we've got to make sure that we include them so we don't offend them because who would want to read a translation in the church that says uh brothers uh, my brothers and then all the women leave, you know, take their husbands and go. Uh, but anyway, it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. Uh, B, the looseness of structure. James moves quickly from topic to topic. Relationship of the topics is not clear. I mean, how, how each verse is, and I've said this, the theme of the letter is not clear. I mean, what is the actual theme? You can say suffering. You can say works by faith. You can say, but that's why I talk about, there is a, you can see things repeat and is there a cycle? Is he repeating it? You know, so if things don't just come up once, he writes a while later and it comes up again. Um, more dependent on Jesus than any New Testament writers. James doesn't directly quote Jesus, but he does have the essence. Uh, here's the point, point, bottom page two, James, the author. It, and again, I've said this before, but here's the information. James, the servant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ, that's, that's who he is. It's James, he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, right? There's theology, God the Father, God the Son, he's servant of both. Uh, English name James comes from the Latin Jacobus, which is itself a translation of the Greek name Jacobus, and that's what you can see later on. I've got the first verse in the Greek at the bottom of the notes. Jacobus, that's what it is in the, in the Greek. Uh, Jacobus occurs 42 times in the New Testament to refer to four men, and I've said that. Here's that verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Three of the four men named James in the Bible are mentioned right here, it's just identifying the disciples in the upper room and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying peter and john and james that would be one of the sons of thunder and andrew philip and thomas bartholomew and matthew james the son of elpheus they got to put son of elpheus to distinguish him from james the brother of john and simon the zealot and judas the son of James and of course son of James is added to Judas's name because otherwise think Judas Iscariot so there's three of the James in the Bible are mentioned right there and they all I'm going to say and you don't have to agree with it but they're all too insignificant to be this James especially Judas's dad James probably didn't write this uh james the son of elpheus he's got to be identified as the son of elpheus and the disciples list to distinguish him from james the brother of john who was one of the three key apostles so james the brother of john could have written it except he's dead in 44 a.d and he's still in jerusalem and and things are still developing so that would eliminate him not making it impossible uh, then that kind of that's what i say in those next bullet points uh, point c on page three the fourth, James, is the brother of Jesus, mentioned several times in the Gospels, and is a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, and historically recorded by Josephus and church history. So that means you've got the Bible, you've got church historians, you've got Jewish historians identifying James in Jerusalem, uh, the leader of the church. Uh, here's some verses i just want to read through these just because we're going to read the book of james let's see what the verses are going to say and you've heard all of them before matthew 13 55 matthew 13 verse 55 um chapter 13 verse this one jesus is just beginning his uh his parables he's been rejected in chapter 12 they think he's beelzebub so he gives them seven kingdom parables it's like okay I'll just start talking in parables. We've been talking about that in Mark. And then after uh, the seventh of the kingdom parables in chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, we would assume that would be Nazareth, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So that would be, you see, the first and last. James wrote the book of James. (coughs) Judas wrote the book of Jude. Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him, which is, again, a totally interesting verse. So there's your first mention of James. You can see it in Mark. I'm going to Mark chapter 6. We already read it last week on Monday night, but James being apparently the oldest brother after Jesus. Now, there is idea, uh, people try to say that because they've got to protect the virginity of Mary that she never had any other children, especially in Catholicism. They've got to somehow get all these kids in the family of Jesus. So they were all Joseph's kids from a previous marriage whose wife died and he marries this teenager with, you know, eight kids. Or, no, he had eight or whatever, you know, however you want to count them. And he marries this little girl, Mary, which, okay, now, and then she she remained a virgin her entire life and had no more kids. Uh, I mean, okay, I mean, you're really stretching that because they're called as brothers and the word brother, when it's translated in a family setting means brother, not cousin, because we got verses like that, like uh, uh, Timothy was a, uh, a cousin, no, not Timothy, Uh, john mark was a cousin of barnabas uh you you got you got that uh, uh, john the baptist would be a cousin of jesus so you've got cousins and you've got brothers and these guys are not cousins these are, are brothers which would make the point there being jesus was the firstborn and then appears because james at the top of the list would be the oldest brother or jesus second brother or you know his under him if that makes sense now in mark chapter six verse three Uh, the same thing is said right there uh mary's son brothers james joseph uh if we go back into chapter three you can see that they they had come from nazareth to capernaum to take him away because it doesn't mention james's name but his family comes and we assume james is with them because they said he was insane or he was outside of himself he was he was acting outside of his reason because he's got these large crowd they came to protect him and we've been talking about that on uh on monday nights so that's that's james uh john go to john chapter 7 verse 5 Uh, his brothers it doesn't mention james particularly but at another time his brothers um well here it is again their intention is uh are they making fun of him are they trying to give him advice um, because he keeps messing around up in Galilee, in the villages of Galilee, and the people of Jerusalem, the scholars, the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders, come up and start asking him questions and decide they're going to kill him. He just keeps floating around in Galilee until finally, he would always go down to Jerusalem for the Passover and then come back out again. But his, this, his brothers, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which is not Passover. Chapter 7 of John, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea. I mean, it's not like he couldn't get attention there. He didn't want attention there. Purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. If we can get him down in our territory, in our court systems, uh, we can eliminate him. And he hasn't even caused a real problem in Judea. He's just up in Galilee causing commotion outside of Judea. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, "Now we, we would assume James is in on this. You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one wants to become a public no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world." Now, well, let's just read the next verse. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So you can read that where they like coming alongside as counselors, advisors, saying, this is a big deal, Jesus. You've got a crowd. You've got something. We've got to get you in the, in the limelight. We've got to get you on front stage in Jerusalem so people can see this. This is important. But then it says, because even his own brothers didn't believe, were they mocking him? Were they trying to get him down there, get him in trouble? Was he Because they had came in Mark earlier on, even in his first year, they had came to take him away. They came to take hold of him. It's like, we need. he's gonna get crushed by the crowd. He's gonna get killed by the religious leaders. Plus, he's embarrassing the family. I mean, everyone knows he's my brother. Everyone knows he's my son. Again, you gotta read into Mary in this whole thing. She, was, she had an angelic visitation on a couple of situations that... He's going to be sit on the throne of his father, David. He's going to be great. He, Jesus is going to be the Savior. All this, it's like, oh my gosh. Then they had the inter- interaction with Elizabeth when the baby leaps in her womb and Elizabeth starts prophesying to Mary about the baby that's in her womb. It's like, oh, so Mary like, kept all these things pondering in her heart. And then her little boy grows up, you know, has a 12-year-old thing where it's like, I had to be about my father's business in the temple. And, they, and she just kept watching these things. And then he grows up. It's like, when's he going to do this? When's he going to do this? It's like, this is going to be so good. And then he go, gets a job up and uh, saccharis or just a or just north of it where he's doing carpet work it's probably stone work because they're building buildings for the the romans there and modernizing the city and just kind of like then he goes down he goes down and hangs out with a freaky cousin john i mean john never had his head on straight now he's eating you know crickets and it's got down here. no one likes john and it's like and then jesus then he's in the wilderness and he comes back for the wedding the family wedding in cana it was probably because right next to the, the uh nazareth it's probably a family wedding and he brings along he's got a now he's got a he's hired some people he's got a staff it's like you don't even have a job jesus and he's got a staff and and then they run out of wine then she says this he says and you know the story you know they they're out of wine and jesus I, it, it's not my time this is not the time for wine this is not time for uh it's not the kingdom age it's like there's other things we need to take care of and she just says, do whatever he says. I mean, she's kind of, you know, it's like there's a whole, there's tension going on there that sometimes you, you can kind of just Sunday schoolize it, colorize it in the eyes of Christendom. It's kind of like, this son is not turning out, you know, like, do you even know how to use a sword, son? Because they're, they're talking about a military, over- she's still with all the thought of overthrowing the Romans, most likely. You know, the freedom of Judea, an, a nation, all the nations will come to, uh, and we're gonna have to have a king. He said, sit on the throne of your father, David. It's like, and you're just telling stories. I mean, you're just, and then, then he turns water to wine. His disciples see it, his mother sees it, and it's like and then he starts talking and casting out demons i mean it's like it's not like you've ever seen and heard demons talk to your son calling him the son of god and he tells him to be quiet and come out and everybody's all the demons the 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 underworld is listening to him and then the the religious leaders are trying to kill him calling him beelzebub uh i mean the the twitter is just blowing up with insults and and bring down his family and then the crowd they keep crushing around not to hear his teaching so they can get touched by him, so they can get healed and have their problems solved. So he's trying to explain the gospel of the kingdom. Meanwhile, the religious leaders are trying to kill him for having authority over demons. The people, whatever, just stop talking and start touching us. You know, they're not, they're not you say, well, they're gathered around for the teaching. That's why he's in a boat off the coast. You know, he's, he sat in a boat. Well, that's for projecting his voice, right? But also, it says very clearly, because the crowds are crushing him. Because it's like, if I get out here in the water far enough, you got to swim out here, and I can, like, beat you off. <laughs> you, know? It's, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that's what he would do. But it's like, but he's out, he's out. But it's it's mob control. I mean, you got, got to get the image of mob control. Because, it's like, they're crowding so that they would crush him. They're not, like, lining up a nice little line, excuse me, Mr. Jesus, I'd like to have you pray for. It's not like, you know, a, a prayer line at church. It's like a mob scene of someone coming out of a, you know, whatever, a celebrity coming out of, name it then they're just crowding around him but they also know that if he touches them something good is going to happen to them but he wants to explain the gospel of the kingdom to them. Well, i don't even know what you're talking about just touch me and heal me and so that's that's the world he's living i know it's kind of callous or what should, shaded but it's like it get away from that ideal of uh the religious leaders are just asking some questions no they've decided he's got too much power they've got to kill him well the crowds keep coming because they love his messages no, he says, I'm going to start talking in parables so that if you're a believer, you're going to understand and start growing. But if you're not a believer, you're going to get more and more confused and pretty soon even what the understanding you've got will be lost and you'll be in total darkness. So here's another parable. The believers understand it. Those that are just there for healing got confused. And what, he's dividing people with his teaching. Those that understand are growing. Those that are just there for themselves are being driven away. He's like, well, that's not very Christ-like. Okay, well, it's Christ that's doing it. But but anyway, so here's his, his brothers. Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to ha- go, leave here and go to Judea. If you want to be a public figure, no one acts in secret. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. So again, these are the same guys who came to take him away, take control of him because of his ministry. Now they're saying, go down here to Judea. And it's like, why? Are, do I try, are, are they really wanting him to become? Uh, when it says they do not believe in him, do, are they still thinking he's going to be like a military leader and they don't really believe in his message of the gospel of the kingdom? They're the suffering servant. Are they, are they pushing him into a military position like the disciples were going to try to do? Or are they mocking him, saying, go down there and just be rid of you? Uh, again, I, you got to think about that. that. But James would be involved in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, you know this verse. Uh, it's kind of random and out of sequence, but it makes a, a clear point. This is talking about, in chapter 15 of First Corinthians, as you know, the, the Corinthians, everyone has to deal with that. You and I have to deal with that. When we receive the Christian message, how do we combine that with our world philosophy? You know, our worldview. Like, for example i was raised a secular humanist so evolution was predominant you know this everything's evolved earth is old and then i can bring the bible in it's like okay well i want to be a believer i believe in christ but how do i explain this well somehow i've got to start bringing in the secular humanism into christianity now the thing is you got to recognize you're doing it you know if you don't recognize oh i'm just so smart secular humanism is true the bible's true i'll just blend them together and now you've come up with a false philosophy and so I had to deal with some of those things. All of us have to deal with that. The Greeks had their ideal of the afterlife. Suffering was in the body. But when you died, you were finally released from the body and went to Elysium and lived with the gods in the spiritual realm where there's all kinds of good stuff. And so they became, they also, just like you and me, they heard the gospel. They accepted Christ. They were indeed born again. The Spirit of God lived in them. But their mind wasn't renewed. And they had to somehow get over that. Just like my mind's not totally renewed. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. But I've still got all these worldly philosophies that they've tried to explain the world, and they're not all true. And I'm trying to sort through them, and we, we continue to do it. It continues your whole life. But they had come to the conclusion that they didn't really accept the physical resurrection of Jesus. I mean, he, he, he died for our sins. He came alive just like we know we'll all go be with the gods uh but this physical resurrection it's like yeah that doesn't that, there's no place for that because that's where suffering takes place that's where uh we are that's what we're trying to get away from so they says we're we there's no physical resurrection well paul in first corinthians 15 uh this is just one of their many fallacies that they're trying to combine greek philosophy with christian teaching chapter 15 now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken a stand. In other words, I want, you, you're rejecting my gospel. What he's saying is you're rejecting my gospel. He doesn't say it here, but I preached you the gospel, and you took a stand on my gospel, and my gospel that you believed in included the physical resurrection of Jesus and the physical ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now, that's, that's what you signed. If I got out the contract, let me see right here. Yeah, 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 that's what I taught. You signed the membership card right here. You accept the physical resurrection of Jesus and that he is physically in heaven now in a resurrected body. So that's what you took a stand on. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Now, you're getting ready to tear up that contract. If you tear up that, again, now I'm not gonna get into losing your salvation right here because I don't think you can. But he says if you hold firm to it, if you really, you signed it, but maybe you didn't really mean it. See, that's the thing about, well, I signed the membership card. Yeah, but did you really have faith in Christ? Well, I said I had faith in Christ, but did you really understand the physical resurrection and what it means? And he had to die on the cross for our sins. I mean, did you even understand it? Well, I, I accepted it, but I don't think you understood it. Now, there's that point of people becoming Christians but you don't know really what you accepted. You just wanted to join because they've got great potato salad here at this church. Or this is where all my friends, all my friends are going forward at the youth group. I'll go forward and get saved. It's like, did you really know what you, well, I just, all my friends were doing it, or whatever. There's a thousand reasons. He says, you've got to stick with this. You've got to stick with this contract. If you firmly hold to the word I preached you, otherwise, here it is, otherwise, you believed in vain. You believed in the wind. You believe that just God loves everybody. Uh, no, there's judgment coming. Uh, well, that's what I believe. Well, you're believing the wind. It's vanity. It's empty. There's nothing. You didn't really believe the gospel. You believe what we, you call the gospel, but it's, there's no substance. Then he goes, for I re, for what I received, this is interesting, Paul, when he says, for what I received, meaning it, it's a word for teaching. A, a rabbi would teach his students and they would receive the traditional teaching. And Paul says, what I received, what was handed down to me, I pass on to you, because Paul, of course, wasn't there at the resurrection. In fact, he persecuted those who believed the resurrection. So he had to receive the information. Of course, he met the Lord himself. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, which is in this chapter is the physical resurrection of Jesus. I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. That's the whole point. He died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead according to scripture. The scripture said he had to do it. The apostles saw it, they told me, and I told you, and you believed it. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to, here it goes, that he appeared to Peter. And then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, physically appeared to them. And we know from the gospel accounts that that would include that he was eating with them, that they could touch him, that he was physically present. They could bump shoulders with him. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a spiritual manifestation. He was alive, physical. And his body wasn't in the grave. It wasn't like, well, that's my body. I don't need that anymore. I'm a spiritual being. No, that body was transformed into a resurrected body. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Now watch, most of whom are still living. Now what's that saying is, you can look them up. You can call them. Of course, they didn't have phones, but meaning most of them are still living. Meaning, you can say, ah. Now listen, today you can say, Paul's just making this stuff up. Now you can say that today. But Paul's writing to these people in Corinth saying, I'm not making, you, you can go talk to them. Now, 2,000 years later, you can't go talk to them. But in 57 AD, you can go talk to them. They're, they're right there. And, he, and there's 500 of them. I mean, it's not like, well, that's what that guy thought. No, there, you can get a group of 12 or 14 of them all together. They, yeah, 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 we talked to him. He was alive. I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's a big deal. And he appeared to Peter the 12. After that, he appeared to 500 uh, brothers at the same time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James... Then to the apostles, and that James would be his brother. And last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. That was a vision from heaven. The others was a physically walk up and talk to him. But notice right there, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So sometime there before appearing to all the apostles, whenever that's recorded to or however you're going to put that together, he's going to walk in on James. Imagine your dead brother, who's everyone saying he's alive, and he was saying, after three days, I'll come back alive. And everybody's he's missing, he's gone. And then Jesus walks in. And James was like in that, you know, he'd seen the whole ministry. And you can understand why, I mean, sure, your brother thinks he's the Messiah. Right. I mean, you can understand why a brother would say, just come home, you're embarrassing. Especially when he, if you're the Messiah, where's the crowds that are supporting you? I mean, you've got the religious leaders against you. You've got people falling out. And then he ends up on a cross. And you can see James like, well, what? What a loss. And then Jesus comes back and then, I mean, must have explained something to him. I mean, obviously. So that's, James was, he, he, he's writing from a position where he wasn't, he was always a Jew, but there was a time where he was a Jewish non believer, and then the Messiah, his brother, appeared to him, and he became a believer and was in for the full deal. Oh boy, what time? Oh, shoo, look at what time it is. Oh. Now, because now we get into the book of Acts right here. And this is where you start seeing James uh, as a public leader. And that, those are kind of fun verses to see. Uh, and I want to read this to you. And I'm going to, I've got to quit just to be, see, just to be socially appropriate, I'm going to quit. But nonetheless, the, on page three, there's a Eusebius records him. See, I said I'm going to quit, but I'm not. See that? Yeah. <laughs> see? But uh but you can read it. Uh Hegesippus Sip, Sip, uh was recorded by Eusebius, the church historian from around three hundred AD, three hundred fifty AD. He records Hegesippus' account. Hegesippus lived between uh one ten and one hundred eighty. So he was one ten to one hundred eighty. He was born in uh where does it say when he was born? just born in israel but he died in jerusalem so he was a church leader in jerusalem and so you can see he's living not during the days of james obviously he's he was born you know some 50 years afterwards but he's going to record this account that eusebius is going to then uh it seems like this guy was a uh uh, a jewish man Hagisippus, who was a jewish man who had a greek name but became a believer in christ uh, and here's the here's out, right out of his records the fragments that we've got it talks about james the lord's brother succeeded in the governor of the church and, and it goes all the way through what he writes right there and that records his his death and some of the more details that everyone gets from and that death james's death would took place then in 62 A.D. And we'll we'll look at that next week. And I want to go through the book of Acts just so you get a picture of James and his prominent place in the early church in Jerusalem as a bishop, as a pastor, as a leader of the churches in Jerusalem. And then then listen to that letter. And again, I'm going to push this letter probably to be, I'll just say, 48 A.D., give or take, really before the time that Paul's ministry really takes effect. And right around the time of the... uh, jerusalem council and we'll see him writing in the jerusalem council uh, and i'll point this out at the end of the book or end of the notes page six i've got chapter one verse one in the greek right there and you see the very last word it says james the servant of god of the lord jesus christ of the 12 tribes of, of the dispersion greetings and that last word uh keris, from the word keris. Uh, that's how he begins his book and if you go back to page five there i've got acts 15 13 acts 15 23 and 24 and he begins a letter to the gentiles for the jerusalem council they've had a meeting paul's there john's there everyone's talking pharisees are believing pharisees are there i mean they're believers but they're still pharisees and they've all got input but in verse 23 uh he says having written by the hand of them the apostles and the elders brothers to those in Antioch, that's Syria, and to Syria and Cilicia. See, I, I, that's, he's writing a letter to the Antioch Syrian churches in Acts 15 after the Jerusalem Council, about the same time this book is being written, apparently. Uh, brothers among the Gentiles, and then there's a word right there, the, the, the end of that, well, it says greetings. You see that it says greetings right on the end of the, it'd be the second line in verse 23 of the Greek block. But he begins the letter also in the book of Acts, greetings, the same way this book begins. And I'm going to say that letter was written within months of this letter, James, where he's writing to the dispersed tribes. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that more next week. That's just some information. And again, it's fun for me. It's fun to get this historical background and get some image of what's going on. And then you're reading, you know who the man is, and he's writing words to this, time period and this is the situation that's going on and you got to give or take like i said last like building jing with those jinga blocks right Jinga is what it is and it's like you're stacking these assumptions up uh to get a better insight but you, but they're not it's not doctrine it's not some of it's not solid and so you got to be careful uh how you put it together but that that helps me it's not written first of all it's not just a made-up book written you know by the church in 400 a.d this is written by a jew in jerusalem in the first century To believers, and now, how how close can we come to who and when was it written, and what's he talking about? We'll do a little more review next week, or introduction, and we'll get through the book. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. And his physical resurrection and his death on the cross, we do ask that we would embrace it, that we would understand that we continue to grow in our faith and in the production of the fruits of the Spirit in our own life. And we do ask that we'd be a good witness and testimony at this time in history, that we may shed light in a time of darkness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your patience.